Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on The Porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What is up, guys? Hey, before you listen to this podcast, which I hope encourages you, wanted to let you know a little bit about the conversation we're about to have. This is with a brother in Christ named Charlie Kirk. He runs a, a political organization called Turning Point USA. He makes the case for not just why he started his organization and why he leans conservative and how that plays itself out through his organization, but his faith in Christ and why every person should believe in Jesus and also how his relationship with Christ has influenced his political journey. That said, we want to hear from people on all sides of the aisle. So if you know somebody who is left-leaning or liberal-leaning and the opposite, if you will, of, of Charlie Kirk and his stance on this, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at info at the porch.live because we're always open to have more conversations about how the gospel is impacting people's decisions, what they're doing with their lives, and how it's informing them politically. Above all, we want people to be informed biblically and live lives that are anchored to Christ. We as Christians are not parties of the elephant or the donkey or Republican or Democrat. We are of the lion and the lamb of Judah, who is Jesus. That is first and foremost what we are all about. So this is a brother in Christ. Hopefully it encourages you. And as always, if, if someone does come to mind or questions come to mind, email us at info at the porch.live. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. I'm joined with the one and only J.D. Rogers. What up? And for the very first time, Charlie Kirk on the podcast. Honored to be here. Thank you. Dude, thanks for making time, yeah. man. Charlie is a, um, man, what would be the best way of describing uh, political, uh, what would you call yourself? Activist. Political activist. Uh, hey, I was thinking guru. Yeah. Thank all, you. All the <laughs> you, above. You put me at a higher level. <laughs> would apply, but not just that. He's been in the political scene for the last eight years. He's also a believer and uh, I thought we'd just start there just to frame up because here's the two things that we share in common, a love for Jesus yes. and a love for this generation, yes. for young adults, to know him and to live in light of that. So quickly from a high level, your story of faith or you know, were you raised early on and trusted in Christ then or what, what's kind of your high level faith background? So third, fourth and fifth grade, I went to a school called Christian Heritage Academy in the suburbs of Chicago. Yep. It's pretty well known if you're kind of in the Chicago Moody Bible kind of world, Wheaton mm -hmm. world. Yep. It's kind of a feeder system into that eventually. And uh, gave my life to Christ in fifth grade. I had no idea what that meant. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's kind of one of those things, say the words to make sure you don't go to hell yep. type thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus in your heart. Amen. Yeah. And, but as I grew older, it meant more every single year. Come and on. those words that you say in fifth grade that you actually remember and all those Bible verses they make you recite in third, fourth, and fifth grade, like Isaiah 53, yeah. you actually realize there's significant meaning to those things. You actually realize that those are not just incantations for the sake of discipline of a young person, that there's, you know, irrefutable truth within them. And so anyway, you know, in eighth grade and then once I went to once I went to public high school, faith really started to become something that was a deeper part of my life. And then as I decided not to go to college, that became an even more, you know, important part of my faith journey. Grew up in the Presbyterian tradition. My parents left that and kind of church shopped, if you will, mm -hmm. landed at Harvest Bible Chapel with James McDonald. And yep. he had a very um, huge impact on my life. Incredible. And uh, Harvest Bible Chapel uh, really, really kind of put me on what I think was sound theology of, you know, the, iner the inerrancy of scripture, the irrefutable uh, word of God, um, who exactly was Jesus Christ and yep. kind of how you position your life and configure it correctly. 
And so, uh, yeah, that's my faith journey. And uh, eight and a half years later, you know, I'm actually doing more in the faith space than I was even the first seven years. And we're happy to unpack that. Um, yeah. Just because right now you're seeing a unprecedented intersection of faith and politics. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on the political side being a Christian and starting to see a lot of Christian churches start to embrace some of the most dangerous political movements that they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I don't mean to overly politicize it this quickly, but that's kind of how yeah, I, I think we're all here today. Yeah. yeah. So, so <laughs> let, me, let me put you on the spot. Okay. If, if we got a lot of non-believers or we have a decent chunk of people who are either early in their faith, they're still figuring out why, sure. what is the, um, what case would you make for why Jesus is ultimately the one that they're looking for, the center of human history, no question, but what, what, anything that you would say, hey, look, here would be the answer to why you need to make the decision. Yes. Jesus is the one. So the gospel in four words, three words, two words, one word, Jesus took my place, four, year, four, four words, three words is him for me. Two words, substitutionary atonement, and one word, grace. Come on. There is no other religion, there is no other belief system in the world where you can finally admit you're not enough and God will enter your life. Go find it. Buddhism is about not talking, saying the right incantations, and trying to find a higher plane of enlightenment. It's all about what you do, even though they don't admit it. That's right. Islam is about earthly conquest or conquering or following the certain sort of edicts of the Quran. There is no religion ever where you admit you're not enough, and then that actually gets you admission into the highest possible relationship with Jesus Christ. I can go through archaeologically, I can go through the, apolog the apologetics of it, of no other act in human history has as much third-party corroboration as the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I can go into how we have first-person accounts, how every single person who knew Jesus Christ and considered him um, their teacher or the Messiah died not just died a death in defense of it, but refused to recount it at the very final parts of their death, whether right. it be James, the half brother of Christ, um, with some people debate that, but that's irrelevant. Paul, Wait, which, anyway. So, uh, important side note to what you're saying. They died not for what they believed in, like the cause. They died because they said, I saw the dead man come back from the grave. That's right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's a very different thing. And people die for all the across cause. the planet. I mean, the yeah. disciples went from India to Rome to, to Greece to there is even accounts of them going as north to what is now southern Russia of the gospel spreading. And every single one that knew Jesus Christ and saw him raised from the dead, when they were given an opportunity to go back on that, you're right, the dagger's on your throat. Yeah. They're like, no, I believe it. Kill yeah. me. Yeah. And, and so insane. That that's a pretty remarkable thing. And then also we have According, I think it's either Luke or Mark, at least 327 people saw the resurrected Christ post, you know, post-death mm -hmm. resurrection. Yep. The story of Paul is completely fascinating, right? A super wealthy Roman Jew who literally oversees the stoning of C Stephen mm -hmm. and then immediately turns and becomes the number one spreader of the gospel and really creates the framework for the church as we know it today. That's right. And so even beyond that, if that's not persuasive enough for you, which I think is highly persuasive, I can go through the writings of Josephus and I can go through all those sorts of things, how there's never been an archaeological discovery that contradicts the Bible. All of those things are awesome. Mm -hmm. However, the thing that really, I think is the most important thing is if you give your life to Jesus Christ completely and totally, you will be reborn. We say that a lot. Like, oh, what does that mean? Well, why do we do a baptism? Because you're actually a new person. Mm -hmm. Your sin does not feel the same after you're reborn. Because yep. all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're sinning alongside Jesus. All of a sudden that, that you're taking Jesus drinking with you. Yeah. Spirit of God. Amen. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yep. so I, I highly encourage people to give your life to Jesus Christ. And it's complicated at times. I think it becomes overly complicated in certain, mm -hmm. you know, theological circles. Sure. And... I, the number one thing I tell new believers is to spend time in the Bible. 
Yeah. Yeah. Is the Bible's the only book ever. The more you read it, it reads you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> That's good. That's true. That's good, man. All right. So um, I start there on purpose because, uh, you know, some of our audience will have no background with just all the work that you're doing. And then some of them will be like, hey, I, I'm familiar and I may disagree. And I want to make sure everybody knows uh, if you disagree with that as it relates to Jesus, by, by that I mean Jesus and him being the center of the universe and you need to make him the center of your life. Man, you have much bigger problems than any disagreement you may have related to political stuff. Yeah, amen. Yeah. It's the most important thing. We could end it right there. Yeah, yes. that's, that's the thing. So from there, going into, you know, you uh, are not just a believer. Those values inform some of your, I would think, the passion that you have for, for uh, politics, for this generation, for the issues that um, uh, are infiltrating this generation. I don't know if there's probably a better way to say that. But it's fine. How did that bridge happen? How did you go from that to, hey, I'm, I'm now in, in the... Point. Yeah, imperfectly. Yep. But I could describe it a lot better today than I could have eight and a half years ago. Yeah. So we could start how I squared it eight and a half years ago, which is I loved my country. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a highly patriotic household, very defensive of America by nature and by default, disagreeable by nature. So when teachers would dare insult the country or would go out of their way, I would just find any sort of reason I could grasp onto that our country wasn't as bad as they were saying it was. Yeah. And being growing up in public high school in the suburbs of Chicago, you just kind of become steeped in that kind of, you know, disagreeableness if you decide to have that perspective. And so anyway, I never and it's really a great question because I actually was taught that my conservatism and my patriotism was incongruent with my Christianity. Interesting. And it's completely wrong. By, it's the exact by, opposite. By parents or right? Well, no, by, I grew up in a very liberal Presbyterian church. Got it. Okay. And so they were, they'd say that any form of nationalism or any form of love of country is completely against the gospel. You can't believe both. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, but I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, I was just kind of like, screw you type thing, right? I believe it. And I was, that was just like eighth, ninth grade, right? So rebellion was this, that was my idea of rebellion, right? Yeah. Like going against the Presbyterian church. And now I, I, now I have a much deeper understanding of first principles and who we are in the state of nature and yeah. all the, and kind of how we came ac- across our system of governance and why we love our country, all those sorts of things. But like I said, at the outset, it was very imperfect at the time. Yeah. So, but despite that, it happened and you started an organization uh, at 18? That's right. Called Turning Point mm-hmm. USA. And what, what's a high level vision for people listening and if they don't know anything about Turning Point USA? Yeah, I mean, it's gone through many different kind of iterations like any startup. Look, this is as bluntly as I can say it. I want our generation to love our country again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that it? It's that simple. We don't. Public polling shows that a majority of our generation has a negative view of America. Does that feel new? Yes. Like last it is. 15 years? Like, it feels like we need another Rocky Four to come out or something. And that like when I was growing up, there was a, the, the, the uh, zeitgeist just felt so different. I, I was just on the phone call with a friend from New York who was talking about our differences. I wouldn't need to get lost here, but of the, uh, the, just the critical way that people are taught to think about the country. And, uh, and it feels new. And, yes. And to your point, Jeremiah 29 talks about seeking the welfare of the city that you're in. First Peter chapter four, first Peter chapter two talks about loving your neighbor fearing God, honor the emperor. There's a lot of, of reasons to say, man, I want to be the best possible citizen that I can. I want to see the flourishing of the nation that I'm a part of, knowing we're ultimately citizens of heaven. Amen. It's not where we're spending eternity, but God has done um, 
through the Christian Moral Foundation, which we're talking about in a sermon series we're doing right now, a lot of good uh, through through the nation. And America is not perfect; has had issues. Has it will never be perfect? But um, why do you think there's been such a transition in terms of being critical? Yeah, and and look, I actually don't mind criticism. I do I do mind pathological opposition. <laughs> And that there's, there's a complete difference. If you've created a cottage industry into hating something that's generally pretty awesome, yeah. I got a problem with you. Uh-huh. And that's what's happened with professional athletes and celebrities, and they have huge influence. And so there's two reasons for this. The first of which is the issue of liberty. Liberty's really hard if you don't have virtue. Mm-hmm. In fact, liberty will instantaneously crumble a society if you can't handle it. If you do not understand the law, which points us to Christ, Mm-hmm. Galatians 3, the law is a guardian or a school teacher to Christ, then you can't understand liberty. Yep. It becomes self-indulgence slavery quickly. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You have that supercomputer right there. You could look up anything you want at any time. Mm-hmm. You could see any picture you want to see at any time, mm-hmm. any video. You can communicate with anyone. You can get marijuana. You can get illegal drugs, whatever you possibly want. What makes you not want to do that? Morality. Bingo. Without God, morality is nothing more than an opinion. That's right. And so if you have a nation that can't handle liberty, because we have more liberty than any other generation in human history, we're more miserable. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you actually don't have liberty. You're actually then in some ways a pseudo slave to those devices or the sin that you're living. And that's why the Christian ethic is a superior ethic Mm -hmm. is that you're going to continue to fail. You will. It's a yeah. guarantee. It's built into us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, kind of going back, that, that number one is the issue of liberty. That's one of the reasons why this has fallen over 10 years because we have we have not, in my opinion, had a moral backstop to be able to instruct young people in particular to deal with the multitude of wealth that we have around us mm-hmm. or to be able to do the multitude of choices or the, pr- the plurality of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And instead, we're, we are going to screw it up. But if you have no moral framework, then it turns into absolute chaos. That's number one. Number two is that there's been a very concerted effort to get young people to hate our country. It's been well-financed. It's been very persuasive. It's been multimedia. It's been multidimensional. And if if you do not come at it from at least some deeper historical background or at least a family background that has really reinforced, I think, the truth about this country, it's, I can, it's very seductive. I get it. And I, I fight back against it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like any trend. We we have been trained. Um, the younger generation has been trained to follow trend. And trend, at least a lot recently, has become like all around like Black Lives Matter, like being woke, kneeling during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you yeah. see that if I don't like I as a child, the national anthem was like, we're going to sing this thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to belt this thing out. And it's about to be awesome. And everyone's going to be having their hats off and standing and proud. And now it's like awkward. Like if you go to a football game, you know, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Who's going to be kneeling? You're looking around. Who's going to be participating? Yeah. And it's just lost less and less. That's like one example. But at the Pledge of Allegiance, like there's so many different things that you look online and you look all over social media and it's like you're not woke if you are participating in the things that were once so like valued. Yes, sure. And I don't bandwagon disintegration of morality because the church has is disintegrating. So l- let me ask you this question. Here's two real quick questions. Based on what you just said, 
because I totally agree. We've talked about how without morality, and you can only have morality through the Spirit of God, and without the Spirit of God and um, being directed towards morality, society will crumble, that you can't have, mm-hmm. you can't maintain freedom. And human know. beings will crumble. Human beings will crumble. So why do you do, why are you not a pastor? Because if you're going, hey, I want to see morality, and that's a, kind of that's a, a That's an question. interesting question. I mean, I, I've been asked that once or twice. I mean, look, first of all, I don't feel that's my calling. Mm-hmm. Number two, Martin Luther told us that a true Christian, if they were a shoemaker, wouldn't put a cross in every shoe. That's right. Tell, tell them the story. They so Martin Luther obviously is the reason why we're all here and we're not taking the Eucharist today. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. why you guys are able to marry, thanks to Martin Luther. Yeah, that's right, man. Praise God for that. <laughs> he kind of had a good impact on that, your life. That was a W. Right? Me. It was a big win for men. Yeah, that's right. And so, but the shoe, shoemaker story is Martin Luther, I'm somebody comes being up. facetious. Yes. So yeah. Martin Luther. No, dude, you're, you're hitting it spot on. Yeah. That's a big win for men and women. <laughs> Uh, but he was asked, hey, by some guy that became a Christian. That's right. Uh, uh, what should I do with my life? Luther said, what do you do now? I make shoes. And he said, make a good shoe, sell it at a fair price. And he said, act the Christian ethic in everything you do, but yep. you don't have to necessarily put a cross in every shoe to justify that you are pursuing the gospel in it. Yep. And I think that's exactly right. And so I'll say this, though, which is really interesting. I mean, I, I do two podcasts a day. We do two hours of radio a day. And we've brought, in, we've brought hundreds of people to Christ Come through on, the Galatians man. 3 model. And, I, and this is something, my biggest disagreement with the American church is that they've stayed away from politics. Huh. I think it's the, it is the worst decision they could have possibly made. And I'm going to tell you why. Come on. Because there are millions of young people that care more about politics than faith. That's, that's a fact. And if you're not able to communicate to those people, then all of a sudden you're losing a huge opportunity. They're, they're drinking from the streams of liberty. Show them the source. Mm-hmm. Liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. That's also a fact. So when I go to a college campus and we're, we're packing out auditoriums, thousands of young people, some are Christians, most are not. And all of a sudden I'm talking about first principles, freedom of speech, freedom of dialogue, strong families, protection of the unborn. Where do we get these ideas from? Did I just pull them out of my hat? Everyone is referencing the source. Everyone is. So just like Abraham Lincoln, who was never considered to be a Christian, but he cited more Bible verses in his first and second inaugural. And right before he gets shot in the back of the head, he turns to Mary Todd Lincoln and he says, I dream to walk on the streets of Jerusalem in the footsteps of our savior, bang. Really? That guy, corroborated by the Lincoln Curator, wow. the Lincoln Museum, three independent top Lincoln historians. That guy understood the Galatians 3 model, that you go to politics and fight for morality, you're gonna have the gospel. Is America more free because Abraham Lincoln? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have more people been able to pursue truth thanks to Abraham Lincoln? Yes. So I'm not comparing myself to Abraham Lincoln. I think that's, you know, I don't want anyone to make that inference. What I am saying, though, is everyone has a different calling to be able to do this. Sure. Right? And I'm unapologetic to state the theology as I see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not a theologian. You know, I do read the Bible, but there's nuances that Wayne Grudem would be better suited than I would to be able to (laughs) unpack that, right? Sure, yeah. And he's dedicated his multi-decades of life to that. But what I am is... I am someone that cares deeply about the political process yeah. and cares about what type of country we're handing the next generation. Here's, here's my decision tree. Most important thing you can do in your life is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's right. The second thing is make sure you can do the first thing. Go on. What do you mean? Most of the planet, it is illegal to worship Christ. Oh, got it. Get it. I'm following. In China, they can't do what we're doing right now. Got it. Yes. North Korea, they can't do what we're doing That's right an now. Interesting way of putting it. 
And guess what? Last six months, our brothers and sisters in Christ have been penalized, imprisoned, and put at home because they just wanted to have ecclesia, which Christ told us on this rock build my church. No, ecclesia. He didn't use synagogue. He didn't use temple. He coined a Greek term, a secular Greek term, ecclesia, which means the physical gathering of believers. Yeah. Yet we kept weed shop, shops open, liquor stores open, strips club, strip clubs open, BLM in the streets, home improvement stores and grocery stores, but they took Easter and Palm Sunday from us. Why? Because we didn't get involved in politics. Man. Um, hey, going back, Lincoln, I thought he was a confirmed believer. It's debated. Really? You know what they said? in the newspapers the day after Abraham Lincoln was shot in the head in all the Christian newspapers? No. Why was he on a theater on Good Friday? <laughs> of course they did. Moral pietism. Wow. Mm. That, you can look it up yourself. That's crazy, man. Do you, I, think, do you think he's in yes, heaven? You think absolutely. He's I, anyone who turns to his wife and says, I want to walk where my Savior walked in Jerusalem, that's confirmation they get the vertical relationship through Jesus Christ. I would, I would think so. All right, so um, at, let's go back to the politics thing. You have uh, for years spoken to, again, this generation, which is the one that we work with, young adults. What would you say, here's two questions. What are the major issues you feel like people are um, either blindly accepting, like I'm talking to college students, and they, they all seem to believe this, and, and it's very concerning, um, or things that concern you about the generation, yeah. that they're, they're believing, thinking, operating underneath, and then um, what encourages you as you go on college campuses yeah. and you're having conversations with people, because it seems like through things like Turning Point and other organizations, um, there is some shift back in the direction of some of the values that we would say as followers of Christ are great. Family's important. Uh, practicing virtue as a byproduct of your faith in Christ is important. So there's so much overlap in terms of, of the, um, some of the goals that we shared. You know, it, they're different. The mission of Turning Point is different than the mission of the church, but Yes. In terms of uh, what is encouraging you, it seems like there's some encouraging stuff going on, and what's concerning you as it relates to this generation? Yeah, I'll start with the encouraging, Come and on. I'll go to the concerning. There is a renewed sense of learning like I've never seen in our country before. The podcasts that I do that go the deepest and go the longest perform the best. We, when we are unpacking social contract theory with John Locke and Thomas Hobbes and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, when we are diving deep into Aristotle and Plato, we are unpacking the ideas that built the West— we get the most emails, the most downloads, the most interest. Wow. Learning always leads to an awakening. This is something the church has always gotten wrong. You will not have an awakening if you don't have a citizenry that wants to dive deep into the scriptures, dives deep into why right. you're falling. That's right. Or otherwise, it's going to be the same evangelist giving the same sermon five times. And guess what? In the internet age, there's very little tolerance for that. Mm -hmm. People want to dive deeper. They want the five-hour deep dive on the book of Habakkuk. That's not my thing, okay? <laughs> Maybe you guys can do that. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or fill them up, whatever, right? Yeah. However, I'm, I am optimistic because I see young people that are opening books, that are diving deeper. You might not see it, uh -huh. but there is a thirst for knowledge. When you have chaos happening, a predictable result is that decent people are going to want to understand why. Mm -hmm. And that's a positive. And so I think that we are on the verge of the next great awakening. It's different than what mo I think. It's different than most people think. So on the other side of it, let's go to the concerning side of it. I started with the optimistic and we'll go to the pessimistic is I can unpack just some of the, what I think are just some of the predominant and prevailing lies that are out there. But just the general one is almost every single conversation that I find issue with in our country right now with our generation comes back to almost a blame America first perspective hmm. that 
our country has, of course, made mistakes, but we are not a mistake that we have been formed as a country. We are not. The world is a better place. The citizens in this country are a better place for all races, all people, all genders, all backgrounds, all languages, period, bar none, defendable by evidence, happy to unpack that. And so when your default position is if you're arguing from a given, mm -hmm. if you're almost like creating a geometric equation where you already have the end result in mind and you're reversing the equation, you remember those math equations where you used to start with the answer and you work backwards to what the formula would be, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's not inquiry. That's instead, that is you trying to make an argument based on a presupposition you might hold. What? So you're talking to college students and they come out the opposite perspective of, mm -hmm. of everything you just said about, hey, it's the best for all people, all languages, all this. Amen. What, what would the argument be that they would put forward? What's another country? And I'm genuinely curious of like, yeah, they would, they, they would, Sweden? They, yeah, or? they would argue the Scandinavian states. Uh -huh. They would. And if they want to live in a country with a bunch of white people, then fine, go there. Yeah, so when you point that out, what would they say? Because it's uh, almost entirely homogeneous in terms of- Homogeneous, no immigration. They had no immigration for 35 years. They also have nationalized healthcare, something I philosophically and morally disagree with. They do. They think that's a good thing. That's fine. I think Sweden actually handled the virus better than we do. Happy to unpack that differently in a weird way. Sweden was the ambassadors of freedom during this whole thing. However, with that being put aside, <laughs> um, there, you know, no Norway gets a tremendous amount of revenues from oil. They don't like fracking and natural gas. But let's just put all that aside. Let's pretend that all those things are not even worthy of cross-examination. Yeah. Show me. 18 out of 20 of the top research institutions are in America. Why? We don't have the most people. don't have the most oil, natural gas. Why is it we are the first ones to go to space, go to the moon, invent brain surgery, open heart surgery, more patents, cure to polio, more vaccines, more medical breakthroughs, more charitable endeavors, more Nobel Prizes, more Olympic medals? Why is it? What's with our country? People say, oh, it's because you're wealthy. Why are we wealthy? What, what, what makes our country wealthy? What more people? No. It's liberty. Liberty. And why is there liberty? It's because our founders recognized that rights come from God, not from government. They gave us a framework, constitutions, a structure to actually let people be able to exchange ideas, products, services. And it's been imperfect. We've had problems. But my goodness, have we advanced humanity really far in a short period of time. Yeah. So um, in terms of the founding fathers, a lot of people would say uh, they're – it seems to me there's a lot of misinformation. They're about racist. The, well, both That's racist, I'm happy to deist <laughs> in a way that is, is I, I think, you know, Jefferson may even disagree with you as he was alive today and painted in the light let's, that we paint him. Let's, in. let's unpack it. Um, why? And, and here I was connecting the dots. I would say the reason all those things have happened is the Christian moral foundation Amen. has established a, um, uh, an environment, a nation. Again, it's imperfect. This is not the Holy Land. God, we're, you know, heaven, America's not, I'm not living in Dallas for all of eternity. Um, but. <laughs> God has done unique things. And I would say the reason why this is an even important conversation is as believers, we believe that the Christian moral foundation is the thing that has led to the exceptionalism of America and the ways that it has and been. And it is exceptional. You're right. It has been exceptional um, despite having, because that triggered a bunch of people going. That's fine. I get it. It's got all these problems. Yeah. I, and I, I agree with all the prefacing. But so, so the fathers. Yeah. So Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Yeah. He also was the first president to say no new slaves into America. 1807. He was also the first person to introduce a slavery abolition bill to the Virginia House of Delegates. George Washington, big deist, wrong, Anglican, Bible-believing Christian who read his Bible every night of the Revolutionary War. How about James Madison, architect of the U.S. Constitution, said himself, slavery is a sixth sin. It is not a matter of how we get, it's not a matter of if we get rid of slavery, it's a matter of how we get rid of slavery. Yep. How about the Constitution? 1787, Bill of Rights ratified in 1791. There is an import ban of slaves that was put in there with the 20-year window, then signed by the third American president, Thomas Jefferson. Let's go back to the Declaration. 
when in the course of human events it becomes necessary to dissolve ties, goes on to mention God four times in the declaration, says laws of nature and nature's God. Vermont was so inspired by that declaration, they abolished slavery the next year in 1777, the first sovereign state on the planet to ever do so. Human norm is human beings owning, owning human beings. Guess what? There's more slaveries on the planet today than there were back then. Go to the Horn of Africa. Go to the Middle East. Mm. Go to the southern border. Go to Central America. Before we start to convince ourselves that we've actually abolished slavery worldwide, we should ask, why did we? Mm-hmm. And then how did we? And were these founding fathers just entertaining the idea of liberty? Were they complex, sinful, highly contradictory people that were hypocrites? Yes, because they were human. Mm-hmm. The question should not be whether or not they sinned. The question should be, why did we stop the macro sin of slavery that predated the United States of America? So a lot of people don't know, you just referenced Jefferson tried to abolish, Virginia was illegal to he let, release He introduced the bill. And he introduced the bill. And it got shot down. That got shot down. And he was attempting to release slaves. And we're hanging there because it doesn't need to be about Jefferson. But there is so much um, lack of education. And I'm not saying like that. that he should be deified. Like, I'm not no, a Catholic, question. right? So um, I don't think that he should you know, be put St. Jefferson. I am saying that he should be thought of as a hero, brilliant, and incredibly complex. Mm-hmm. That's a human being. Sure. And, uh, dude, when you read those guys, you know, anyway, the morality uh, and the language and even the way that they talk about God, even Jefferson in particular, or all of those guys, um, there's a strong case to make that lots of them had a, we're going to see them in heaven. They had a relationship with, with Christ, uh, imperfect, many of well, them. Well, let's go to Thomas Jefferson, who is, they say church and state, right? Separation of church and state. It's mm-hmm. nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's in a singular letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Convention in 1803. Mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson invited the Episcopalian choir to perform in the U.S. Supreme Court building when it wasn't being used for hearings. This is one of the biggest lies ever told about America. Oh, we're a deist, atheistic, non-Christian country. Wrong. Where does it say that in the Constitution? They say, well, it says uh, free expression clause and non-establishment clause. They put that in there because they didn't want it to be an Episcopalian, Anglican, or Catholic country. Mm-hmm. It was never a question of whether or not the Christian bedrock church would be inseparably linked to this republic. And it was very well articulated by Madison. He's like, if you do not preach morals, you're going to screw this thing up. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've had four great awakenings in this country. The first great awakening by Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards centers in the hands of an angry God. Mm -hmm. You know who the number one admirer of Whitfield was? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin hung out, studied, and understood Whitfield. He said, this guy's onto something. I don't quite know how to unpack it, but I like it. Mm -hmm. They laid the moral foundation for a people that all of a sudden started to, they stopped listening to King George and started worshiping Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What we have here in Western society is such a blip on the radar of human history, where we're able to just have this conversation, live to war 80, have many kids, be more worried about gaining weight than losing weight. The, the norm of human history was you go fight somebody else's wars and you're probably going to die of a communicable disease by the time you're 15. <laughs> Which is so depressing and reality for most yeah. of, you know. And so I just, part of it is just like, let's be a little bit thankful. It's yeah. Biblical. So um, it's, it's no secret you lean conservative. That's a minor understatement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what would be the issue that you think conservatives are um, not, not uh, they are not doing it as well as those who lean liberal? I struggle with this too, is compassion. Mm-hmm. Compassion's hard. Mm-hmm. And the left is much better at compassion than we are. And my, the way my brain is wired is much more in empiricism. 
Mm-hmm. It's much more in data. It's much more in facts. It's much more in looking at things as they are. And I think that overindulging in highly emotive stories can become a pathological way of governing, mm-hmm. uh, which is very high in pathology, very low in the logos, very low in logic or the pursuit of truth. And so, yeah, I think conservatives generally do a poor job of that. And I also think that conservatives do a really bad job of going to people they disagree with and speaking to them and convincing them. Mm-hmm. And finally, I think conservatives understandably self-censor far too often. I think that especially young, they're afraid they're going to lose their job. They're afraid they're going to lose their friends. They're afraid they're going to be called a racist. Yeah. And I get all that. I get, I get those things every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and then finally, I think that, um, I think that we, we as, I'm not saying you're, you guys are conservatives. I'm just saying we in the conservative community, I think that we have to do a better job of explaining the moral roots of conservatism and not giving the left the moral high ground. Yeah. Because I think we do a pretty good job, as I mentioned, as the empirical high ground, like our stuff works, mm-hmm. but why is our stuff right? Yeah. So we have to do a better job of that. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Uh, if, you, if you saw one issue that you could convince every person in America on, and, and by issue, I mean, hey, if I could flip one switch tomorrow, you get one switch. One switch. That's, that's uh, all of a sudden everyone would just instantaneously agree with. That would kind of be like a non-debated question. Yep. In this period of time of where we are right now, that we're not a racist country. We as human beings prior to Christ thought of each other as skin color, tribe, and where you came from. Uh-huh. It's Christ that liberated us from that way of thinking. Yep. And if all of a sudden the lie that we're a racist country has recreated tribal groups in this country, we judge people based on skin color. If you start judging people based on their immutable characteristics, we have an entire century to show us how that goes. And only 130 million, million people were murdered that way. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to try to just disrupt the programming in one way, and I guess if I could add a second, it's e pluribus unum actually matters, which is part of the American Trinity. So there's a Christian Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's an American Trinity too. It's on all of our coinage and all of our stamps. Mm-hmm. E pluribus unum, id God we trust, and liberty. You lose the Trinity, you lose the country. Mm-hmm. So e pluribus unum is a Latin phrase of out of many, one. Doesn't matter your skin color. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter about your parents. We're all one. Where do they get the idea from? We're all one in the body of Christ. We're all one under God. Mm-hmm. In God we trust, that one's obvious, and then liberty we've been through. And this is articulated in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 of the U.S. Constitution, which says there'll be no heirs to nobility in our country. That should make everyone be like, what were they thinking? Every country prior to America gave some form of heir to nobility. Basically, they just said, your bloodline doesn't matter. Pretty amazing. It's pretty crazy. And you sh- like, we should basically say that's something we should take seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about a lot of people, I think my, our age, kind of get in like political paralysis where- I like that term. They like feel, I, I know I've felt this. Uh, we're actually entering into a political series and I- like, Good luck. I'll pray I, like, for you. It's not him, easy. I asked him for a while to not let me, not make me speak on it. And uh, I am. You got to throw him to the lines at some point. Yeah. On racism actually. And I- Am like getting over what has been like paralysis from like a social media standpoint, like using influence, using platform uh, to advocate your beliefs and different things. And I think a lot of people feel that even just like in their interpersonal relationships and their friend groups in, in a lot of different things. And so how would you encourage people not like to lean where they should vote, but how to think about and research? Because also have you seen Social Dilemma? Of course. Okay. 
that's a huge buzz right now amongst young adults, social yeah. dilemma. And then what you find out from social dilemma is the inventors of social media are like, you can't trust anything. It's all an agenda. Watch out. Yes. So now we're like, great. The information in my pocket generation, now my inver- information just got invalidated because now I don't even know what's coming to me, what I can see, what I cannot see, all that stuff that we're dealing with. And so where do I go to research? Like, Let's just look at two ish- three issues that should matter for Christians, right? First is life. So I think it's a non-negotiable, right? Mm-hmm. I believe life b- begins at conception. I think one of the most moral disasters in the history of our republic was the unconstitutional, illegal ruling of Roe versus Wade that nationalized abortion, right? right? So states had abortion bans before this. The Burger Court prior to the Warren Court was super liberal, but the Burger Court went even further and completely nationalized abortion. 61 million unborn children have been terminated in the womb since Roe versus Wade. We as Christians are, ta- are taught biblically to stand up for the innocent. How about Israel? Israel is an important issue, right? We're told to bless the Jews, nation of Israel. Who moved the embassy to Jerusalem? And I'm not going to defend, you know, every sort of tweet and all that stuff. That's, you know, that's endless. (laughs) And we've already saw Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas sued to the highest level of Supreme Court where John Roberts, Bush appointee, Kagan, Sotomayor, Breyer, and Roberts agreed in unity that church was not essential, but a casino was. But Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Alito and Thomas dissented. During this pandemic, our Supreme Court came together and said a casino is more important than a church. Happened three months ago, so most believers don't know that. Yeah, that's crazy. And so I get all of the kind of complexities to it. For the news, there's some good sites. There's justthenews.com. Real Clear Politics is really good, which just gives you a list of all the top op-eds that have been published out there. I highly encourage those. Those are really good. Hmm. So, If you're a Christian and you're listening, you are called to pray for all those who are in high places. First Timothy chapter yep. two. So that you might live quiet and peaceable lives. That's right. So regardless of who wins, you are called and I'm called to spend time praying for even those I, people I agree with or disagree with, if they are in a position of leadership and authority. All right. Last question. Um, book recommendations. Favorite. If you were going to recommend, hey, this is a great Christian author. You, re- yes. you, you went earlier on um, apologetic stuff. So as a, Lee Strobel, a Case for Christ is great. I highly recommend it for... Um, Searchers and seekers, I should okay. say. That's a better term, seekers. Yep. Um, a really good book that kind of explains moral governance is the book that built your world by Vishal Mangalwaldi. Uh, it's phenomenal. He uh, grew up his life in India. Uh, he's a Bible-believing Christian, and he makes the articulate defense of what Western civilization is and how the Bible built it and how Christianity built the world that we know today and how thankful we should be for it. He walks piece by piece on how the Bible built the idea of what a hero is in Western civilization, on how we tell stories, on the articulation of our framework, on how we care about the blind and the deaf, and how no other civilization did it before Christianity came to the planet. Phenomenal book, and wow. it's told from a incredibly bulletproof theological perspective. It's great. So I highly recommend that one. Um, and then just kind of... And, I, and political. If there's a... You know, not... Christian, you can go as many books as you want to, but if there's also a, hey, this is a great resource... Yeah. I could tell you a book that kind of tells you what we shouldn't do. It's called The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a- That's a classic. I yeah. It. It's a book that broke the Soviet Union. Really? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, yeah, actually Solzhenitsyn was an expat from the Soviet Union. He was like, they didn't want this thing published. And you want to see how dark human beings can be to each other. It's a wonderful note to end on, right? How dark, like what we shouldn't do yeah. is what that book talks about. Judge people based on skin color, turn people against each other, divide, stop talking, alt, destroy the churches, imprison the pastors. Like he goes, you're like, oh, now I can understand what we shouldn't do. Sometimes that's actually the most 
helpful reference mm-hmm. is like yeah. maybe there's some parameters of like we shouldn't be going towards these sorts of things. And that book, it's called the Gulag Archipelago for a reason, because he basically is giving the he's basically giving, you know, the, the funeral address, if you will, to the hundred million people that died under communism. So is there an author? Very uplifting. A um, author that you uh, like the most uh, on the subject of politics. Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell. Any, which, which favorite book or? Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. Yeah. Thomas Sowell's a black economist. He gets it. And he, you want to talk about woke? That's, ac- that's the actual woke. I mean, he will go, he will go very, very deep and very aggressive in a very good way. Have you met him? No, I actually, I've always wanted to. He just turned 90 and he studied under Milton Friedman. He's phenomenal. He's, he's terrific. And basically his, one of his major thesis arguments is, do not blame what can be attributed to something else to racism. Yep. And that's like one of his main things. Like you see discrepancy between groups. There might be other reasons. Yep. There might be cultural reasons. There might be socioeconomic reasons that might not just be one group doesn't like the other group based on the color of the skin. And he's a black economist mm-hmm. that talks about it. Um, other Christian authors, Wayne Grudem is great. If you have any, if there's any theology students listening to this, I highly encourage you to check out Wayne Grudem. He has books that are this thick going through like biblical, political perspectives. So to answer your question, I encourage you to check out Wayne Grudem's book. It's phenomenal. He's in Scottsdale. 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 Yeah, yeah. I've, I've hung out with him. He's phenomenal. And oh. he is rock solid. He is really respected in the evangelical world. Totally. Yeah. Great resource. I love it, man. That's all I got. Anything else? Yeah. What do you do outside of politics? You know, I tried having fun once and I hated it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh, I love that. So curious. Yeah, I just... You've been um, asked that question before, clearly. Yeah. I uh, Do you nap? I work out. Um, like, I bike. Um, bike. Nice. I don't really have a hobby, mm-hmm. you know, but... Do you eat fast food? <clears throat> very rarely. You know, it's very funny. I eat like a liberal. Mm. I eat kale salads and drink celery juice. Yeah, you do. And ah. don't drink calories. Keep that engine running right, man. <laughs> Except, wow. And I have my Christian cocaine. Yeah, you mm-hmm. Coffee. Coffee. I love it. Um, man, that's it. That's all I got, Charlie. Well, thank thank you, you guys so much. I hope this was helpful. If so yeah. help. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, guys. Well, hopefully that conversation encouraged you. Uh, what I love about Charlie is he would say, despite the fact that he is very politically adamant, the most important thing any person can know is Jesus Christ. The most important thing any person can do is put their faith in Christ. And he shares that same passion for this generation and for them to know Jesus. So like I said earlier, if there's somebody else you think that we should consider having a conversation with on the podcast, would love to hear from you. If you have questions in that same vein, you can email us at info at the porch.live. Hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.